Amen. You can have a seat. Good morning. My name is Craig. I'm one of the pastors here. Let me ask you this. When was the last time you felt stuck? When was the last time you felt stuck? We're not talking like stuck, like Kansas City Chiefs fans who just lost Tyreek Hill. Sorry about that. We're talking stuck like the disappointments, pressures, and weight of life just make you feel like it's really hard to move forward. What does moving forward look like? How can we move forward? Stuck. When was the last time you felt stuck? Maybe it was when you're caring for an aging parent. Poof. Lot of opportunities to feel stuck when you're doing that. All of a sudden, siblings you haven't seen in decades come out of the woodwork and they care a lot. And you're like, how much of this is about inheritance? And how much of this is about you care about mom and dad? That's really easy to feel stuck. Maybe it's your own health that's declining and you're having to embrace limits. You can't do what you used to do. You're not as mobile or agile. You're in pain a lot more. Just feel stuck. There's an O word bouncing around your head like, oh, am I, am I just old? Is this what life is supposed to be? Am I just stuck? Maybe it's uh, helping a, a loved one navigate addiction where you just pour and pour into that person and you just keep loving on them and they lie and they say one thing and then they steal and do something else. Just really easy to feel stuck. Maybe you go to a church where there was a members meeting and there's lots of different opinions and feelings swirling around and it's like, whoa, this can feel painful and it, maybe I feel stuck. When was the last time you felt stuck? What temptations come when we feel stuck? What are those things that normally wouldn't be a temptation, but we may find ourselves feeling a little more that weight and pressure when we feel stuck? Do you feel more tempted when you feel stuck to blame, right? I'm not stuck. It's these people around me, right? I was just trying to help mom and dad, and then brother Joey comes in, and now I'm stuck. It's Joey's fault. We blame. Do you feel the temptation to blame when you're stuck? Maybe, maybe you don't blame, maybe you find yourself coping, right? We're just stewing and just going over details in our heads over and over again. Or maybe we're trying to numb just the pain we feel with distractions, our phones, being busy with activities. Maybe we're just coping. Maybe there's a temptation to cope when we're stuck. Uh, maybe, maybe there's a temptation just to dwell on the fact that we're stuck, or how about this one? Have you ever met anybody that's addicted to drama? <laughs> uh, judging by the reactions, some of us have met a few of these folks. We just get addicted to drama when we get stuck. What are the, when was the last time you felt stuck? And what are the temptations you face when you feel stuck? This morning, Paul has good news for those of us who feel stuck. The message for those of us who feel stuck is this. We are not stuck. We're not stuck. We may be navigating disappointments 
And those disappointments are real. Luke and I were talking about this, and he said there's different ways we can experience disappointment. Some of us were just sitting in the splash zone at Disneyland, right? We're just like, we're just sitting there. We weren't doing anything, and we got splashed on. So we weren't, we weren't the ones making bad decisions. Somebody else's bad decisions splashed on us, and now we're navigating disappointments. There's others of us, though, we just dove in, right? We weren't sitting in the splash zone. We dove in, and now we're navigating disappointments. And others of us were like, we were just walking around the park, and someone came and just dumped. We were minding our own business, and now we have to navigate these disappointments, and now we all feel stuck. We're, however we got there, however we feel stuck, Paul has good news for us. We're not stuck. Everybody feels stuck. Yes. We may feel stuck by our own circumstances, and we may feel stuck because of the people around us. Maybe stuck. they're stuck, and they're, and they're inviting us into their stuckness. Right? right? Maybe they're, Maybe addicted, they're addicted to drama, to drama and, they're and they're like, come on the in. Water's the water's great. great. But... If what if Paul has, Paul said, has said throughout this letter is true, and if he goes, and if he goes on, on insisting on it as he closes the letter, the letter we, we are, are not stuck. stuck. It's not who we are. The message, the message that, that he's been giving to Titus is this. Is this. Hey, hey, our identity, our identity who, we are, who we are, is not based on the good things we've done, but it's based on what God has done for us. He's made his home with us. We're a temple. We're the spirit. We're the new Eden. That's who we are. That's our identity. And now as he closes the letter out, some closing thoughts, what he says is this. Goodness flows out of good news. Goodness flows out of good news. Because we have entrusted ourselves to a good God, we experience and we grow in our awareness of the experience of goodness. We just can't help it. It's who we are. It's who He is. You're like, wow. I feel like that's minimizing the stuckness I feel. You don't want to minimize that. It's very real. The disappointments we navigate, very real. We do not minimize. As human beings, we are wired to look for things that go wrong. That's part of the survival technique. Imagine if you and I, you and I are driving somewhere on the highway, right? Right, we, just, we just hear this noise, okay? And a tire goes out. And we pull over to the side of the road. And imagine if I were to do this. No, my dad's a mechanic. I got this. I go up to one tire. I kick it. I'm like, whew. This is a good-looking tire. All right? That's good tire pressure. Man, someone just must have put some chrome on this. I don't know what you do to tires. It's a clean tire. I go out to the other tire pressure. 30 PSI, baby. This is where it's at. And I go to another tire. I'm like, man, this is Firestone. You know how expensive Firestone is? We got three great tires on this car. You'd be like, you're insane. We have a flat tire. I don't care about the other three tires. You got to fix the flat tire. But no, don't worry about it. Three out of four. You're missing. You are missing all the goodness for the bad here. All right. Focus on the good, not the bad. If I, you should not go on car ride with someone like that. All right. That, 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 that is a level of delusion that may be dangerous. And so that's how we survive. That's how we've navigated life. That's helped us fix problems at work, fix problems in relationship. And here's the problem, though. If we keep looking for problems to solve, you're going to have to face it sooner or later. You're addicted to the drama. All right? All right? 
It's very easy to get addicted to problem solving, the rush of fixing things. So we look for things that are wrong. Paul says this. You're not stuck. Don't focus, Don't focus on, those on those things. Focus on the goodness. Because we have entrusted ourselves to a good God, when we focus on Him and His activity, we grow in our awareness of it, and we experience more of it, and we create more of it. He's saying this, stop the presses, pull the e-brake, have everybody focus on this. There's going to be folks over here that want to focus on that. Focus on this. What God has done for us in Christ, who that makes us, that's the good news, and the goodness that flows out of that. You're saying, how do we do that in a way that doesn't look like we're belittling problems or we're that crazy person on the car ride? I'm so very glad you asked. Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3 is where we're going to be. Titus chapter 3. And if you could, please stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Titus chapter 3. Our disappointments are real, but they do not mean we're stuck. We are not stuck. Titus chapter 3. This is a trustworthy saying. And I want you to stress. These things. these things. Insist, Insist on, these, on things. these things. I want you, I want you to really, really focus on these things. things. Why? So that, those so that those who have trusted in God, in God may be careful, careful to, to devote themselves, themselves to doing what is good. These things these are things excellent and, and profitable for everybody. everybody. But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law because they are unprofitable and useless. Warn a divisive person once and warn them a second time. After that, have nothing to do with them. You may be sure that such people are warped and sinful. They are self-condemned. As soon as I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, because I have decided to winter there. Do everything you can to help Zenos the Lord and Apollos on their way and see that they have everything they need. Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order to provide for urgent needs and not live unproductive lives. Everyone, Everyone with me sends you greetings. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. This is the word of the Lord. Father, Father, your word says that this is a trustworthy saying. This is a faithful word. That goodness flows out of good news. That we can focus on you and what you've done for us in Christ and what you're continuing to do for us in Christ. God, I pray that you would help our awareness to just grow. God, there are hard things. There are bad things happening. We don't want to, we don't want to shrink our awareness of those things. But we want our awareness of the goodness that you're doing in spite of those things to grow, to outgrow, to outpace the disappointments. God, that's a tall order. 
We know you can do it through your spirit and through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. If you're anything like me, you probably grew up in the great state of New Hampshire and are half French Canadian and everyone you know is Roman Catholic. No? No? Okay. okay. Well, well, I am just, I am just you know, if, if, you, if you find yourself to be a stereotype, just move. You're all of a sudden become wildly interesting. So uh, all my cousins, everybody in my immediate family is nominally Catholic. So I grew up just knowing nominal Catholics. So I'm not saying this is certainly not true of all Catholics. There are many Catholics who know and love Jesus. But in my growing up experience, every Roman Catholic I knew was just a nominal Catholic. They just like, you know, would go through the motions and then we're wild and crazy people throughout the week, all right? And so when I hear, devote yourself to good works, like what Paul says in verse 8, the NIV says good things, but if you have the ESV, the NASB, the King James, New King James, it all says devote yourself to good works. When I hear that, I just, like, I feel a weight on my chest, like, oh, that's going to be so hard. Like, what's he asking me to do? Like, devote myself to, like, say these words, not those words. Like, if you see, like, you know, somebody on the street, like, give them, like, you, no, don't just give them one dollar. Give them, like, five bucks. You know, like, what is he, in, what, what's the invitation for, that Paul is inviting us to? To devote ourselves to good works. Please don't misunderstand me. That is not, le- Paul is not inviting us to do less than what I just described, okay? The, that, what, what we just described was, like, morality, when, we hear good, when I hear good works, it's so easy for me to hear just morality. The thing, as my cousins would say, the things you do so that your Sunday school teacher doesn't hit you across the knuckles with like a ruler, okay? Real, real cousins experience, okay? Never my experience, maybe not my cousins experience, but that's how they told me the stories, okay? So it's like the good things you do just to stay in line. Is that what Paul's inviting us to do? I don't think so. When we hear the word good, when I hear the word good, I think of ethics and morality. That's not how Paul uses the word. If you were with us last week, we talked about this, what Paul is talking about in the previous verses, when he talks about how God's Spirit has been poured out on us, right? That language of water, the Spirit being like water flowing through us, sounds a lot like Genesis 1 and Eden, right? We're the new Eden. We're the place where God resides. That's who we are. So we're not our failures. We are the place where God resides. We have this new and beautiful identity. Paul's continuing that. He's focusing on that logic here. How do you know that? Look at verse 8. This is a trustworthy saying. I want you to stress these things. What are the these things? It's what he just said about our identity. He rescued us not by the good works which we've done. His spirit, he's poured out in us. He's made us the place he lives. We're that new Eden, right? Stress these things. It's also pointing forward, though. It's pointing back, and it's pointing forward. That those who've trusted themselves to God are careful to devote themselves to what is good. That word good is used throughout the Old Testament. It's speaking of Eden, like Paul's thinking in an Eden box earlier in the chapter. He's still thinking in an Eden box now, I think, when he says, devote themselves to what is good. Think back to the creation story. In the creation story in Genesis 1, seven times God makes something and he sees that it's good. Now, seven times. It's amazing. That's the number of wholeness. Seven times God sees his creation as good. We're people who sit under the Bible, so we don't write the mail. We just read the mail. I think a lot of times when we read that, we, we read something in it that's not. It does not say, and God said his creation was good. Okay? 
it says this, and God saw his creation was good. That can change your life, all right? God doesn't just say, oh yeah, I made it. It's good. That's good. I made it. It's good. He makes it and then observes it and goes, whoa, that's good. I see. He recognizes that it's good. Creation just is good. And he recognizes it. He's just, he's just saying what he sees, right? So because, in verse 8, we have entrusted ourselves to a God who goodness just flows out of him. When he makes things, it's good because it, it comes from the one who is good. So because we have entrusted ourselves to one who is good, goodness starts flowing out of us. Think about this for a second. Everybody remember Muammar Gaddafi? Okay, it, it, just fill in the blank with whoever you want. Pol Pot, Mao, Momar, fill in the blank, okay? If you entrust yourself to Pol Pot, Mao, Momar, you are not going to experience much goodness, right? Because you are entrusting yourself to someone who doesn't create goodness, what Paul says about believers, though, is we have entrusted ourselves to the one who is good. He can't help but be good. When he makes something, he doesn't have to go, oh, I made that. Hang on. We'll just pull this here. Now it's good. It just, it is good because it flows from the one who is good. And so the invitation for us is entrust yourself to one who's good. So we experience good news, and that just goodness flows out of that. As we keep entrusting ourselves to the one who is good, we move into a deeper and deeper experience of that goodness. And it's so easy to miss that. It's so easy to notice what's going wrong. It's so easy to say, oh, well, this is missing. Well, that is missing. And when we do that, we, it's very easy to feel stuck. But that's not the message Paul has for Titus. He says, I, I, this is a faithful word. You can trust what I'm saying. Uh, verse 8, I want you to stress these things. I want you to insist these things. When everybody goes out into the lobby, I want you to bring them back and say, whoa, 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 whoa. This, not that, this. This is crucial. This is who we are. Focus your energy and attention here. Why? Because we get distracted. Because when we're people who step into a space and we're caring for our aging spouse, maybe they have dementia and we're loving them. And we're, hey, hey, I'm just going to pour my energy and focusing on you. And it's like, I don't see any goodness coming out of that. They don't even remember me. They're mean. The things they say, they, it's actually, it's hard. They hurt me physically. Like they just can't help it. They're getting angry and violent. How is this good? Maybe this is more like what Paul's saying in verse 14 here, right? Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order to provide urgent needs and not live unproductive lives. I feel like I'm trying to do good and it's, I'm doing the unproductive thing. I think unproductive is a very unfortunate translation. What Paul is saying is not unproductive. Like, what have you produced for me? What have you made for me? It's not like Thomas the Tank Engine, like in Mr. Topham Hat. You're a very useful train, Thomas. There's a New Yorker article about how it's uh, the utilitarian, like, 
dictatorship of Thomas the Tank Engine, if you read it, you can't unsee it. It's just like, are you useful? Are you useful? Did I have a useful day? It's awful. That's why we don't watch Thomas at my house. <laughs> Too much thought goes into what we watch. Anyway, it's not that. It's not like, okay, I gave myself to something and it disappointed me. Ugh, I didn't get the results I wanted. Resulting. The word that Paul uses is not productive, it's fruitful. And sometimes, oftentimes, I want to say, we're not super aware of fruit we create. It's so easy to notice the flat tire. Ugh, look at what went wrong. I'm not being fruitful. But even in the situation where you're caring for an aging spouse who doesn't remember and know you, what's fruit that you could have created from that? You've just showed a bunch of doctors and nurses, maybe who've never set foot in a church, what covenant faithfulness looks like. You've just showed your kids, hey, you can love someone without anything in return. And there can be beauty even in this really hard moment. That's fruit. That's good. That's goodness. And it comes out of the goodness of the good news that we've experienced. God loves us not because of the good things we've done. You see that? Good news produces goodness. We can step into these spaces and not have to worry about resulting. Oh, if I didn't get the results I wanted, God's not pleased with it. No, we can step in those spaces and say, hey, I trusted. I'm not stuck I, I do believe that just like God created and it was good, I'm now participating with him in creating goodness. His spirit lives in me, and I'm just trying to experience goodness and create goodness around me. Man, I didn't see a ton of results, but I'm just going to trust that he is working. That's why community is so important. That's why we tell our stories. Because, look, any journalers in there, any journalers out there, People who write down their thoughts. Okay, have you ever experienced this when you're journaling? When the thought is like, this is so clear, and you start writing it out, you're like, man, I don't actually think what I think I'm thinking at all. I may not be seeing things clear. That's what happens when we share our stories. We're like, you wouldn't believe how unproductive my life is. Well, what do you do? I show up every day at a job. I don't really like it. I, I do my job faithfully, I try to love on my coworkers, and other people get promoted. And, and, and we're like, what am I even doing? And other people can say, yeah, that's hard. I'm not in any way minimizing the disappointment, but you're not stuck. You get to be the Jesus that these people, don't, you, you're probably doing things you're unaware of that are super fruitful, and you don't see it. But you know who does see it? The God who sees his creation and says, this is good. And then the God who sends Paul and says, tell these people to focus on what is good. Draw your attention. Remember, attention is the first step to devotion. Attention is the first step to devotion. What we pay attention to sets the trajectory of our lives. And Paul is saying, pay attention to goodness. That's why doctrine matters. Truth matters. Paul says in Titus 2, teach things that line up with healthy doctrine, with teaching about shalom. Why should we focus on that? Because out of that flows 
goodness, wisdom is known by the fruit of her children. That's what Paul is saying. This good news really does create goodness. Well, it's hard to see. Yeah, that's why we have each other. That's why we do this together. Look, just because I'm afraid I'm going to forget to say it, this may feel out of place, but look at verse 15. Everyone with me sends you greetings. Paul's not writing this alone. He's surrounded by people. He's practicing this. Greet those who love us in the faith. Then he says this, grace be with you. Do you know how the letter started? Grace to you. How does the letter end? Grace be with you. Even this letter, this book, is a means of receiving grace. We miss that. We're really busy looking for the mountaintops and the valleys, and it's like, hey, there's a lot of beauty. There's a lot of goodness that we just, whoo, go right by. And Paul's saying this, when we do that, we feel stuck, and the invitation is to grow in our awareness. What are we paying attention to? Are we paying attention to everything that's going wrong? Or are we looking for ways that God is working? Ways we can celebrate that. And look, not everybody's going to do that. Not everybody is going to say, yeah, let's look for goodness. Yeah, let's see what God is doing. Let God grow my awareness of what you're doing so I can participate in that. There are going to be people who are with the church, but they are distracted from both the message and the mission of the church. There are people who are with the church, but they are distracted from both the message and the mission of the church. Look with me at verse 9. Avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law. Warn a divisive person once and then warn them a second time. After that, have nothing to do with them. There are people who they have allowed disappointments to cause them to focus on other things. And they feel stuck. And they're saying, come over here and be stuck with us. And Paul is saying this, warn divisive people. Now, warn. Does anybody's version say, uh, in verse 10, have a different word other than warn? The NIV says warn. What do we got? Reject. What's that? Uh, NET, NASB say reject. Any other, any other versions? I can wait. I got nowhere to be. I'm on the clock. All right, so we got warn and we got reject. I, I think both of those are sort of unfortunate, okay? The word is nutheo, okay? And, and it has to do with your mind. So it's, it, it can be like, uh, well, this is even less helpful, but we, we're going to get there, okay? Admonish. You're like, what does that mean? Admonish, instruct, okay? Uh, this word is used again and again in Proverbs, all right? And it's like an older parent, the, the, the wise mother, the wise father, coming alongside the son, putting their arm around and saying, hey, look over here. Instruct. That's what Paul's saying here. He's saying there's going to be folks who are with the church, but they're not on mission. They don't like the message. They're going to distract. Now, we're not going to let even that get us stuck. They, oh, God, I was growing, right? Like, it was me and you. I was growing a lot. And then I went to this church, and the people there were stuck. And so, poof, I guess now I'm stuck. Right, that's, that's called blaming. All right, and that's what Paul's saying. No, no, you can't let your circumstances let you dictate the fact that you think you're stuck, and you can't let the people around you say, oh, I'm stuck. Paul's saying this. We're going to proactively love those folks. We're going to put our, our arms around them and instruct. All right, what does that look like? It doesn't look like Joey, your brother, who's like, hey, 
hey, you don't care about mom and dad. Uh, don't put them in a nursing home. Let's put them in the attic, and we'll save all that money for inheritance, right? And you're like, ah, uh, you know, can we talk about that, right? It doesn't look like, Joey, you knock it off, all right? This is your one warning. And Joey doesn't knock it off. Like, Joey, knock it off. This is your second warning, right? That's not what Paul's talking about, okay? He's talking about coming alongside people who are distracted, who are saying, we're walking over here. Church is about over here. Look, because what are these people focused on? Genealogies, arguments about the law, quarrels, infighting, disappointments. All right, the word for quarrels is Ares, like the Greek god of war, Ares, right? People are just like, they're ready to rumble, all right? They saw you in the parking lot, and they just, hey, here's what I'm disappointed with, and I'm going to fight with you about that. Paul's heart towards people who are just ready to rumble is let's put our arm around them and say, hey, insist on these things. What things? That good news and the goodness that flows from that good news. Hey, this isn't who you are, right? We're not going to get stuck in genealogies. We're not going to get stuck in arguments about the law, all right? We're going to focus on what God has done for us in Christ, we're going to focus on that and then the goodness that flows out of it. Now, does Paul like genealogies and the law? Def, most definitely. Genealogies can change your life, okay? Like there's like really great stuff. There's like genealogies in Genesis, right? There's great stuff in the genealogies. Paul, that's not what Paul's saying. Like, oh, we reject this part of the Bible. Remember, these people are in exile. And so when you're in exile, you're in a strange land and it's very easy to get, dis that's a disappointment, right? I wish I was home, right? And it's very easy to miss the main point. And some of these folks had done so. They're like, oh, we're Israel outside of Israel. What do we need to do? Prove that we really are children of Abraham. So what people were doing was they were saying, oh, my family can trace its way all the way back to King David. Well, my family can trace its way all the way back to Solomon. And it just became this pride thing that was missing the point. And Paul's like, hey, super cool. Not the point. All right. And he's saying, put your arm around these people and say, hey, that's, that's not what we're doing. We're talking about how God has made us new creation and we're involved and we're co-creators with him. We're creating beauty. No, I want, to, I want to fight over here. I want to prove that I have worth. Yeah, yeah, Hey, I hear you saying that. We're going over here. And then after that, after they don't listen, what does Paul say to do? What does he say to do? It says, have nothing to do with them. I think what he's saying is this. We don't coerce. We don't force. People have agency. When someone says, I'm going over here, and we say, no, 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 hey, we're going over here. Maybe we weren't clear. We want to be really clear. This is, this is the message. This is the mission of the church. I want to go over here. We say, okay, God respects your agency, and so do we. Okay. You want, you want to go that way? You can. Because look, how do you know, how do you know if that's happening? Look at verse 11. You may be sure that such people, these people who are divisive, who are ready to rumble, are warped and sinful, they are self-condemned. Um, warped is a, is a nice translation. There's older translations, though, that say perverted. And we got to be careful with that because we have, a, we have a mindset of what it means to be perverted. Like, you're perverted, right? Uh, that, let's just, the old English, we're talking like 1600s idea of perversion, is if you pervert something, you are using it not for its original intent. That's what Paul's getting at here. He's saying this, just like you can pervert a fact, right? It is a fact that Tyreek Hill 
left the Kansas City Chiefs and went to the Miami Dolphins for an exorbitant amount of money. That's just a fact. I can pervert that fact by rubbing salt in the wound of Chiefs fans, right? That would be perverting that fact. That wasn't what that fact was meant to do. That's just a hurtful thing to do. So I'm not going to do that, all right? That would be perverting the fact. That's what Paul's saying. These people are perverting Scripture. They're twisting it, and they're self-condemned. Why does he say self-condemned? I believe the reason Paul says that they're self-condemned is because there's such a temptation to blame. When, when we're disappointed, when we find ourselves stuck, it's like, you know what? That's on you. And Paul's saying, no, 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 no. We have sat with you. We talked with you a couple of times. That's on you. We respect your choice. We have been very clear. There's an invitation. You decided not to take it. That's on you. And what is that invitation? The, this passage is booknoted with it. In verse 8, focus on, good, on the good that comes out of the gospel. Verse 14, remind our people to focus on the goodness. That new creation, that God sees what he makes and it's good. He, we are that new creation. He sees us and says, and just recognizes, good. My spirit lives in them. That's who they are. Goodness. Focusing on those things. That gets really practical really fast. Kurt Thompson is a, is a counselor. He tells a story of two people, we'll call them Jack and Diane. Jack and Diane come into his office for marriage counseling. Jack has really hurt Diane because Jack, again, has found himself addicted to pornography. And they're just on this, like, merry-go-round of pain. And it's a deep, deep wound for Diane. Diane herself is navigating church hurt. And so they find themselves in Dr. Thompson's office, and they're just hurt. And their marriage feels like it's in pieces all over the floor. They feel stuck. And so the first question out of his mouth that Dr. Kurt Thompson has for these people, what beautiful thing are you excited to create? He said the look on their face was, what's wrong with you, bro? What? What are you talking about? What beautiful thing? Are we excited? Like paint? You want me to paint something? My marriage is in shambles here, bro. Like maybe after we get this all sussed out, maybe then we'll participate with God in this new creation thing. But what beautiful thing do we want to create? We just want to survive. That's what we, hey, fix it, God. Get us, get us to a place where we're a little bit in order. Then we'll participate in that. I don't think that's Paul's heart. Paul says this, this is a faithful word, Titus. Insist on this. Point people's energy and attention to creating beauty and goodness, to participating with the God who makes and sees that it's good. Invite people into that. Why? Because it's who we are. It's that good news. And why? Because goodness flows out of that good news. We move into a greater and deeper awareness of the God who creates goodness and himself is good and is able to be trusted. So the answer is not like, hey, let's deal with our sin. Let's get everything squared away. Then we start creating goodness. It's let's start creating goodness. Let's stop focusing on what went wrong, and let's say, what's God inviting us into in this season? There are disappointments. It's really hard. I in no way mean to minimize that. And God respects our agency. God respects the decisions we make. If some of us have come to a place where it's like, this is too much. This is too much. This is too hard. I'm out. I don't, I don't want to do this. It's too hard. I, you know, the disappointments are real. I, I'm just stuck, and I'm going to stay stuck. That's fine. 
But people who choose to be stuck do not have to make that choice, neither do they have to get others stuck with them. We are not victims, neither to our circumstances, nor are we victims to the people around us. Now, that does not mean we don't get victimized. All right? People do wrong things to us. People hurt us. People abuse. That's very real. But what's more real than the disappointments and the hurts to that is the identity and the goodness that God has for us in those disappointments. We don't minimize. Paul isn't saying, hey, Titus, just remind everybody on Crete, everything's good. Titus is like, hey, what about the divisive people? What divisive people? There's no divisive people here. I said it's good, right? That's not, he says, hey, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna focus on those divisive folks, all right? But we're not going to get stuck. We are going to get busy partnering with God, creating beauty, creating goodness. Do we get victimized along the way? Yes. Do we grieve that? Yes. Do we search for healing? Absolutely. But we don't take a victim mindset where we blame. That's the, that's the key difference. We still have choice. Uh, Craig Barnes, who's the president of Princeton Theological Seminary, tells this story. Uh, he was reading through uh, Benedictine rule. That's the, the St. Benedict. He had an order of monks, and he wrote all these rules for the, for the monks. And he came across a strange rule. The strange rule was written in, uh, about novices, so new monks. So, so folks that just kind of coming off the street said they wanted to be monks. And so rule number one was take the novice into the center of the, of the monastery and have all the older monks surround that monk. Makes sense. All right, take off their street clothes. Got it. We're tracking. Give them the habit. The habit is like the, those brown outfits you know, that monks wear. Give them the habit. And then every day have them hang their street clothes beside where their habit is. And Craig Barnes says, like, that is unusual. If I were writing these rules, I would say, take their street clothes and burn them. Set them on fire. Throw them away. Like, that's the old, that's the old life. That's not who we are anymore. And he said that to his professor, and his professor said, that's exactly the wrong thing to do. You don't, you don't burn the street clothes. Why? What did Benedictine know that we didn't? Benedict know that we didn't? Every morning when these novices would wake up and they reach for their habit, they would have to reach past their street clothes. They would have to every day make a decision to say, I choose to stay. I, I don't have to stay but I choose to stay. And that habit of doing that would be formative. If every day we're choosing this, that would be deeply formative for these folks. God, in how he has wired the universe, has wired the universe in such a way, please hear me say this clearly, where we don't need you and we need you. All right? God has wired the universe in such a way we don't need you. All right? This is not a codependent relationship, church here. If you're saying, like, man, Church of Compass, I've got a lot of history here. It's really hard. Man, things are changing. I don't like the changes. This is uncomfortable. I don't know what to do. I just want to give up. Okay. Like, okay. We don't need you. And God has also so wired the universe in such a way where we need each other. And the invitation is, if you choose to stay, whew, 
We can create beauty and goodness together, and we are way better together than we are on our own. I, I choose to be here. There's a season uh, a couple of years ago where I did not want to be here, okay? Uh, I had fallen off the bridge, as they say, and I had allowed myself to just kind of take this victim mindset. Oh, these things are happening to me. All these things are happening. My life is so hard. Why are these things happening to me? Right? We go through seasons in our life where we find ourselves in challenging situations and the voices in our heads, we just let them get louder and louder and we start believing those narratives and we're like, that's right. I'm just going to give up. And I had found myself in such a season like that two years ago. Granted, I will, this is not the last time I found myself in that season. I will find myself in that season again. We all do this. I found myself in a season where I was like, phew, it is hard ministry around here, and I just think I want to be done. My friend just left his church. There's an opening there. I know people. I think I can do that. I want to be done. This is really hard. Kid her out. I said that in the first service, and someone came up to me afterwards and said, man, was I part of the reason you wanted to leave? And I was like, oh my gosh, no, 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 no. Like, please hear me clearly. Like, when I find myself in those situations, when I feel stuck, it's because I am saying I'm a victim here. I am not stuck. So please don't hear me saying that. I had an, uh, there was an older ministry partner I was walking with at the time, and he would say things to me like, you don't have what it takes to, to lead Compass. You know, you're not going to be able to handle navigating change. And I, after a while, I just, you know, you're probably right. This is hard. I can't do this. Which is true, by the way. Like, we Apart from me, you can do nothing, right? It's true. But I allowed myself to get stuck. And so I quit, actually. I don't know if anyone knows this. No one knows. I didn't tell anybody. But I just, like, quit. I was like, I'm done. And I had kind of made up my mind, poof, I, I choose to be here no more. Kid her out. And, before, you know, I was getting ready to start telling people and thinking about it. And uh, that night, Amy and I were watching Apple TV. And, you know, I don't think that God speaks through Apple TV, so we're fine. And I'm watching, and in the show we were watching, the protagonist of the show, she was having a real go of it at her job. And so she was getting ready to quit. And as she's headed out the door, her boss comes to her and says, hey, you can leave. You can totally leave. I just need to let you know, though, that the next place you go, your disappointment's just going to follow you. So you can stay and deal with things and learn and develop, or you can just quit and try to deceive yourself into thinking that there will be better things on the other side, but you're going to learn this same lesson again. I was like, yeah, that's interesting, but God doesn't speak through Apple TV, so. Poof! Right between the eyes. In that moment, I said, I choose to be here. And it has been a wild ride of learning that the hardest thing I have to deal with is myself. Period. I can blame, I can say, oh, this, that, this circumstance, that circumstance is why I'm stuck. That's all very interesting. But the hardest thing I have to deal with is my stuff. And when, th- when people and things bump into me and what that shakes out about my story, I said, all right, let's learn. And I'm so glad. I'm so glad I chose to stay. A couple weeks ago, I prayed in those chairs right there with a guy who had never prayed before. Blew his mind. I was like, hey, will you pray? He's like, what, 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 is, what do I say? What, do I, what, huh? How do I pray? Just go for it, man. Amazing. Baptizing new believers. 
We've got Stephen ministry going. We've seen people who've experienced grief are turning that grief into ways to care and love for other people. We say, we're seeing so much goodness bubble up, and I'm here for the bubbles. I choose to be here. And what I've learned along the way is I am not stuck. You are not stuck. Regardless of how long you've been coming to Compass, regardless of, you've been here a couple months, a couple decades, you're like, man, this is just hurtful and painful. We're, we're going through a season as a church, all right? A, a lot of things have been happening. A lot of things are happening. You're not stuck. We don't need you, and we need you. And that's the beauty of life together. Every time as a community we encounter these bumps in the road, there's always a temptation. Temptation is, okay, I'm just going to go find a new community, and hopefully there's fewer bumps in the road. You can do that. You can always do that. And if you do that, you just know, like, it's, you may just be on, like, a re- re- recurring cycle. Man, when this community gets bumps in the road, then I'm going to find that other community that has no bumps in the road. All right? Or we can say, hey, you know what? What's the common denominator in every place I go? Me. What's God trying to invite me into, not to shame me, but to help me grow in my awareness of the goodness he's already deposited in me? What can we get out of the way and experience that goodness? God has beautiful and good things planned for us. Yes, he does. We are experiencing it. We are seeing it. Titus wasn't stuck either. You know, a lot of preachers, we have no idea how to preach like Paul's travel details, and I'm not trying to claim I have any idea how to do that either. But it's like, I think, you know, a couple of things I think that Paul says. Like, it's like really random how he closes the letter, right? I'm going to send Artemis and Tychicus to you. Do your best to come to me at Nicopolis. We're like, what do I do with that? I have no idea how to preach that. Here's what I think is happening. All right, Paul's talking about focusing on goodness, meeting needs. He's like, hey, these folks preaching the gospel, they got needs, meet those needs, all right? And he's like, hey, I need you, Titus. Come be with me. Paul's, Paul's embodying what he's teaching. Church tradition tells us that Titus did just that. He went to Nicopolis. And there's a couple other places he stopped, but church tradition tells us one last thing about Titus. He went back to Crete, and he died there as a martyr. He chose to show up. And the results were not good. He died. But he chose to step out in this identity. And because he did, the gospel exploded in a place that had no idea about this good news. Please, 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 please. We do not live in Grand Rapids. We do not live in Colorado Springs. Our neighbors are lost. Our neighbors are secular. Our neighbors have no idea about this good news. They have not experienced this goodness. Don't give up because it's hard. We're not stuck. We're not stuck. It's easy to feel stuck. But the message Paul has for us, his closing words, grace be with you. 
We have the delight, the favor of God as we head out. We're not alone. We're not stuck. Father in heaven, God, I pray that we would be people who feel this in our bones, who experience this, who, who grow in our awareness that we're integrating the good news in our life with the goodness that you, that you just send forth from that good news. Father, this matters too much. Our secular neighbors matter too much to you for us to give up. So, Father, give us energy, give us strength when it's hard. And, Father, I pray that you would help us to grow in our awareness of the goodness that is all around us. I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This podcast is part of the ministry of Compass Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, please check out compasscfc.com.